Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. G'day, welcome to Movember Radio. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is a weekly podcast focusing on men's health and the issues that men face today. Did you know that there are over 5 million people around the world that are in the Movember community? And each week, we speak with someone from that community who is passionate about changing the face of men's health. To make sure you never miss an episode, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or the podcast app of your choice. And of course, you can head to movemberradio.com. I would ask you this week, you take a quick moment to rate and comment on this show. We're still in that all-important launch window where we need your help uh, to get a little bump up in the iTunes charts, uh, but that, it does really, really help us out. The other thing I'd ask is just, you know, tell a friend. Tell someone who you think would dig this show. That'd be great. Our guest today is Charlie Borman. You can find him on Twitter at C-H-R-L-E-Y-B-O-O-R-M-A-N. You'd know Charlie as one of the two men that has ridden their motorcycles around the world in the epic television program, Long Way Round. One of the other men is, of course, Ewan McGregor. These two guys have ridden their motorcycles across the world, around the world, up the world, and I do think down the world, or they're planning it down the world. Long Way Round, of course, was the first big one where they rode their motorcycles from London to New York, but they turned right. They went east instead of west. Very long way to go. Uh, but he's a fascinating guy. He's got a fascinating story, almost as fascinating as how he found out that he had testicular cancer. But I'll leave it to him to tell you that one. Enjoy the show. What part of the UK are you in right now, Charlie? Um, I live in London. Is where you are right now anywhere near where you grew up? I grew up in Ireland. Yeah, we, our base was, my father still lives. I don't know if you know, but my father's a film director. Yeah, I know. He directed films, you know, like Deliverance and Excalibur and Hope and Glory and, you know, loads and loads and loads of different movies and, and real groundbreaker movies. And as kids, we, we were just chucked into all of his movies because we were free he, and he was cheap. And so we kind of lived in Ireland and then we kind of moved around the world a bit and went from place to place. Like, you know, we'd, so we'd stay in Ireland for a bit, then he'd get a movie, we'd go to the South Pacific or Brazil or LA or just depending where he, he made a movie. So, so that's kind of where I grew up. Yeah. And, and I suppose that's, that's where I got my kind of love of motorcycles really was over, was over in Ireland. There was a guy called Tommy Rochford who we, we lived in a very small village in between two bigger villages. And I kept hearing this two stroke engine running around. And eventually I, I found who it was. 
and Tommy, I was only about nine or something, and Tommy had a Mako 400, which was the dog's bollocks in those days. And he let me have a go, but I couldn't reach the gear changer. So he stuck it in first for me and then just pushed me off into this field. And the, I fell off pretty quickly, but but I was hooked, hooked for bikes for life then. Mate, you did mention that. This probably must have been pretty interesting growing up on film sets. You mentioned that your father is a, he's an Oscar-nominated film director, as you mentioned, Excalibur, Hope and Glory, the, the landmark film Deliverance. That's a, that's a high-stakes job. It's a high-stress job. A lot of other people's money at stake every minute that you're rolling film. What did you what did you learn from your dad about handling high tension situations? Yeah, not to use your own money. <laughs> it's far more uh, far more relaxing. But no, no, it, it, I think um, from dad, I think because of his traveling and and you know he's always he's always known for doing very difficult movies in challenging places and and so I think maybe that kind of kind of his sense of adventure kind of rubbed off on me and I was always hooked I mean I started acting properly in his films I, I was in a lot of his movies and I had a lead role in in a film called The Emerald Forest with him and from there I just started making movies and and acting and stuff like that and and I realized that if I if I could act I could get to really really cool locations so I was kind of almost doing the acting for the locations <laughs> just all traveling you know, so that was all people say, oh, there's a movie going on in Africa. And I go, oh, cool. And then sort of head off for that. And then kind of started to realize that that maybe just the location for the movie maybe wasn't, you know, enough. And there should have been a good script. And so I, <laughs> my career kind of kind of sort of I remember sitting on a plane once heading off to Africa. thinking this is fantastic. Read the script and it was terrible. And I thought, oh, OK. But I think um, I kind of. Um, and that's where my career kind of sort of sort of fizzled away. And then um, for a long period of time, for about 10 years, I was painting and decorating, doing people's houses up and, you know, just sort of struggling along to try and sort of keep acting alive. That must have been quite tough for you because I'm sure, you know, your dad's a big film director, has been nominated for Oscars, you're on film sets all the time. You're thinking, well, this is fair enough. This is what I'll do when I grow up. And then when it didn't it kind of work, work out, out that <laughs> way, yeah, how did you handle that? Yeah, I mean, it, like all these things, they, they kind of go off softly. So you... You start to make movies and then maybe, you know, it's very difficult when you make movies. I mean, I, I joke about it, but, you know, it's very difficult to find what you choose next for the movie, what, who's the director, who the people are, what the script's like. It, it's actually really complicated. And if you make a couple of mistakes in a row of movies or they were good movies, but they just didn't make it, you know, suddenly it becomes harder and harder to get a movie. You know, so slowly you kind of sort of slip around. And, and so... I started doing more painting and decorating because I had a wife and a couple of kids and stuff like that. So, you know, my responsibilities were were enormous, like everybody. And I sort of kept the acting going a little bit just in case. And every so often in that 10 years, I would do a movie every so often. And, and one of those movies was was when I met Ewan. And, um, you know, we became friends and then we ran motorbike race teams together. We, we did all sorts of stuff together on motorbikes and eventually kind of thought it'd be a good idea to go around the world. <laughs> I was going to ask about that, but I just want to have just one more question about, because I'm, I'm quite fascinated with, I mean, we like to celebrate the bits where it's all nice and shiny and here's the part where I'm holding the trophy. But we tend to forget yeah. that there's also bits that, that aren't like that. You know, as you mentioned, you've your wife, I'm guessing, she met you when you were like, he's this up-and-coming actor. He's going to be great. I'll have a kid with him. And then yeah. it kind of... Yeah. She's tra- so disappointed in me now. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I, I've been married and a successful actor. And then, so she's always... She's always threatening to leave me. But um, How did you two handle that? How did you handle that, yeah. you know, that challenge? I think you just you just get on with what you're dealt with, and I think you know the important thing is not to sort of dwell on 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 the negative side of it. And I always believed that there was going to something else was going to happen, and you know all it takes is 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 one thing that kind of you know delights the public, and and you're off. 
you know, so I'd had a bit of that. And then, so, and then we were struggling along, but, you know, my wife was always, she was always there. It is always there. And, you know, for her, she, it was never a question or it was never a, you know, she never sort of put pressure on me to say, look, you better get a proper job or something like that. But, you know, I, I, in the building trade, I, 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 towards the end of that, that sort of 10 years, I, I, I'd started to, to be able to make a bit of a living, you know, from it. And it just wasn't what I wanted to do, yeah. you know? So there was never, there was never true huge love in it. I was always in the back of my mind that I was thinking, well, I'll get to work today, but, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the, something will happen tomorrow. Yeah. You know? Thanks for taking us. Like Annie. Yeah, <laughs> to the sun will shine tomorrow, my friend. <laughs> sun will shine tomorrow. Well, yeah. that's 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 pretty fantastic that you have that kind of relationship with with your wife. That's 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 no, she's been but Ollie's been brilliant all the way yeah. through for everything. You know, when you and I went off for four and a half months, you know, there was never a question of you know what are you doing going off or something like that. It was always always positive, always thinking, God, that's a brilliant idea, go for it. You know, so it's a pretty cool girl. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because as men, we all know that there's a point system at play. Like if you want that week-long surfing adventure in Bali with the boys, you've at least got to redo the back deck or renovate a bathroom. You know, we'll if, just go. Oh, well, well look, come on. Look, I think the going rate for you a know? golf weekend with the oh, fellas is... I just think it's... <laughs> I always think it's a bit sad when people sort of say, I get lots of people say to me, oh, Charlie, how did you, uh, what's, the, what's the word she says? Um, people say, they say, oh, how did you get your wife to give you permission to go? <laughs> but no, I, th- I think, sure, listen, if you're taking if you're taking the mickey and you're going off surfing every weekend or you're doing something, sure, then that's probably, there's, there's always a balance, isn't there? But if there's something like you and I have been talking about doing this thing for like two years, you know, and it wasn't something that just happened overnight. Right. And you, you sit there thinking, God, actually, we'd like to do And I, I'm sure by the time we, we actually wanted to go, I think they were both so fed up with just talking about it. They just said, yeah, just go. <laughs> just get out of here. You know, we don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, of course, we're talking about the the adventure that became the first TV series that you two did together, yeah. The Long Way Around, which is basically let's ride a motorcycle uh, around, you know, from uh, London to New York the long way. Um, going east instead of west, which is a, f- a fantastic adventure, 22,000 miles yeah. or something like that. Um, yourself and Ewan, before you went on that adventure around the world, you mentioned that, you know, you ran motorcycle race teams and things like that together. Yeah. Outside of all of that, what kind of mates were you for each other? When we met, um, we met on a film called The Serpent's Kiss, which was my, you know, it was my big comeback movie. It had uh, Greta Scacchi, Richard E. Grant, Ewan McGregor, Pete Postlethwaite. You know, it was a big old crew of people. And, and, and then me, and I was thinking, great, I'm back. And then that film, I don't think that film even made it to DVD. Oh. So um, I met Ewan in, on this film, Serpent's Kiss, and, and, and we both just had our first kids, and um, who, who both of them are now almost 20. They, and we just became great friends. He, he, he rode motorbikes. I remember my first question was, um, you know, uh, I knew he had a, a, a Motoguchi California. I asked him about that when we when we first met on the movie set. And, and then that was it. We, that's all we've ever spoken about since for the last 20 years <laughs> is bikes. And then because of that love of bikes, we, we stayed friends. We then, as I said, ran motorbike racing together. We had, we had, uh, we used to race in the British Superstock series and British Superbikes. And, and we came first. We had Matt Lewenen and David Jeffries, who was this Isle of Man TT god. And we came first and second one year in the championship. And, and so we did all sorts of stuff. We did track days together. We, we did weekends away, riding bikes, Sunday runs, you know, you name it. Yeah. Over a long period of time. And then just slowly as we were kind of, as we were just sort of dossing around together, uh, we started thinking, God, wouldn't it be nice to do a bit of a longer journey? Slowly over a period of sort of two years, we sort of came up with this idea. I mean, first we were just going to ride down to the south of Spain and meet our families down there and have a, have a, um, 
you know, have a holiday and then ride the bikes back. And then, yeah. and then we thought we'd go to China because that thought that'd be a good idea. <laughs> and then I, I remember, I'd never forget it. One day you and rang me up and he said, oh, Charlie, look, look, I know you said we're going to go to China, but I've got this, I've got this idea. And, and she said, come around for dinner. So we came around for dinner and he had this big map on the world and he'd obviously been studying it and there was all squiggles everywhere. And he said, look, I've got this idea. Look, look, if you look at China, it's only then. And then if you look at the Bering Straits, and Alaska, it's only just up the road. <laughs> it's miles away. And uh, and he says, why don't we just go there and then we'll just head to New York. And I thought, God, that's just a brilliant idea. So that's kind of how it kind of went about. But I will say, if, if, if you've got anybody out there trying to convince someone to go with you or, or convince your, your wife that you're going along, I would use a, a small map because, <laughs> because then... You know, everything looks much closer than it actually is. You go, yeah, we'll just go there to there. You, know. you mentioned something pretty fantastic is that not only did you both love motorcycles, but you both had kids around the same age. How important was it for you to have another man in your life that was going through similar experiences? Yeah, I mean, it was it was, it was great. I mean, it's, it's, it's like all these things, you know, it's like when you take your kids to school for the first time, you start meeting other parents and, you know, they're all going through, uh, through the same thing together. And I think you and I, had a tremendous amount in common and we were sort of both trundling along a similar kind of path. I mean, his was much more successful than mine, but it's difficult to say because, you know, when you, when you're, when you're making movies and stuff like that, you know, you meet lots and lots of people and you go from film set to film set and you make friends with people. You have very intense relationships with people. And then you head off and you go off and do another movie and you may not see those people again, but, and I think in life as well, once in a while you bump into someone and you think, actually, I like that person. And you just naturally make, an effort with that mm, person. Yeah. And, and, and it's a natural thing. It's not, it's not something, you know, that you think, Oh, I want to be friends with that person. It just, it just, it just happens. Yeah, it just clicks. And, um, it just clicks and, and yeah. you become mates. And, and, and I do a lot of motorcycle tours. Um, I take once a year, I take people through Africa on motorbikes and, and, and we do it in Australia as well once a year. And there's been quite a few times on, on those trips where all these people come together. They all love motorbikes. They all love running off road and adventure and stuff like that. And, and quite a number of times you, We've we've noticed that people who've come on the trips, the two mates have met each other, never met before, and have stayed great mates ever since. So I don't know what it is. It's I don't know what it is. It just it just happened. But anyway, that happened to us. You know, we got married and had lots of sex <laughs> together. And uh, but I'll, nobody knows about that. So okay. don't tell anyone. Okay. So Charlie, when you when you and you and did do your first trip uh, around, you went around the world on motorcycles. You've you know, you've now, you've probably seen more of the world than most people alive and you've probably yeah. met more people from different cultures than almost anyone alive. Like really, you're in a very, very exclusive club having travelled the places you've travelled yeah. and talked to the people you've talked to. What is your time looking at the world on such a massive scale? What has that taught you about people? I think, well, you know, it's all about the people, really. I mean, I, th I think, you know, when you and I did Long Way Round and Long Way Down and stuff like that, you know, we were very conscious about not making it bikery or, or that kind of things. It was always about, you know, that was happened to be the form of transport, and, but it was all about the people that you're going to meet along the way. And before you start any of these journeys, especially if you haven't done it before, people make you very wary. You know, you say, oh, we're going to Russia or going to Mongolia or Kazakhstan or, you know, wherever it is. And people go, oh, that's that's a dodgy, dangerous place. And you go, God, is it? And they go, oh, yeah, it's terribly dangerous. Have you been there? No. <laughs> and so, you know, there's lots of that. And so, so you know, by the time you leave, you think, oh, my God, we, you know, we're going to get attacked and killed at any moment now. And, and, you know, so as you go out of Europe, we went and out of Europe and then into, into Eastern Europe and then finally into Russia and Kazakhstan, Mongolia, 
you you start off being a little bit defensive, and so when you stop on the side of the road and someone comes up towards you, you think, "Oh my God, they're gonna they're gonna steal everything." And next minute, you've just pulled up in these two bizarre looking motorbikes, and the guys looking go, "Come, where they come from?" You know, and he goes over to say hello, and so slowly you realise that actually, you know, actually people around the world are are actually, and it's a kind of cliche thing to say, but people are really nice, and ninety nine percent of people are really. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Good and helpful, and you know, and it's really true. You know, it, you, people say it, but it is true. Said that you know. The less people have, the the more people are willing to help as well. Yeah. You know, so I think, and it's it's really governments and and politicians that really sort of mess it up for everyone else and make it. You know, I, I spend a lot of time in Iran making a TV show once, and, and they're just the most lovely, delightful people you could ever come across. I mean, their government are a little weird, but according, you know, if you're outside of Iran, you know, you know, apparently everybody in Iran is a is a potential suicide bomber, <laughs> and and it's just not true. You know, it, it's interesting that I think the more you travel, the more you realize actually, you know, the world is is a much easier place to travel around. Now, I'm not suggesting to go to to go to war torn parts of the world, but of course, you know, there are problems everywhere. But on the on in general, people are lovely. That's oh, that's nice to hear. I, I'm not a motorcyclist, but I am a cyclist, so I do know what it feels like to have your perennium just punished from hours in the saddle. But Riding a motorcycle. <laughs> well, for... listen, Jesus, I tell you, it's a lot harder on a bicycle than it is on a motorbike. Well, riding a motorcycle for months on end must seats. be must be an entirely different world of pain going on down there. Yeah, well, I suppose as a cyclist, you kind of get used to those tiny little seats, and yeah. and, and <laughs> you know, I don't know, I don't know if there's some kind of sort of bondage thing going on there with you. It's a, it's but, a special um, trousers, mate. It's, it's a special padded it's a special, trousers. Oh, it's a special padded trousers. Yeah, yeah. In in the old days, it was a couple of nice steaks wasn't it oh, some, something along those lines you know but that's the whole fun about the whole thing is that sort of longevity of, of it and you know with the bmws that we use you, you, you know they had you know 500 kilometer range and you know you'd fill up to the brim you know in some dodgy little petrol station in the middle of nowhere and thanking the lord that there was that there was a petrol station there yeah. and then you you sort of pull off you got a full tank of gas you got your tent you got a bit of food 
and you're in the middle of Mongolia and you're just cruising along thinking, you know, we'll do another couple of hours and then we'll find a campsite and then we'll camp out and we'll just see who we meet. And and because it's bizarre, you can be in the middle of nowhere in Mongolia, right? You haven't seen anybody except lots of sheep and goats and camels. And then you decide to stop and pull over from the side of the road to set up camp. And then within five or 10 minutes of, of turning the engine off, six or seven people suddenly turn up wow. from the middle of nowhere. And you just think, where the hell have they come from? And, you know, there's a, a yerk just over the, over the hill or something where they're, where they're living. And they come in and you're putting the tent up and they're sort of pushing you out the way so that they can put the pegs down in the tent for you. And it's just hilarious. And you just yeah. sit there just, you know, and you just how where do these people come from? But one thing I did learn when you're in Mongolia or anywhere where there's lots of people riding camels and horses and, and, and stuff like that is do not ask for directions from anybody on a camel or a horse because they'll send you off on some little goat path up some up some mountain. And, you know, we, we did it once with you and this this lovely fellow on a camel and, and, and he gave us very good directions. We couldn't really talk to each other, but he wrote it down on a piece of paper and we went up this little path and over this hill. And Because and, in Mongolia, there are no... There's, it's, it's almost the same size as Europe, but there's only 500 miles, 800 kilometers of tarmac road in the whole country. And the rest of it is just dirt roads and no, no signposts, nothing. So it's really difficult to get around. And you can be going on a, on a dirt track and then suddenly it just fades out. And then you realize you've, you've sort of taken the wrong fork and you've got to go back and then go another way. Or sometimes the road splits into two gravel roads and you think, God, which one? And then sometimes they just, they're just going around the mountain and you meet on the other side. It's so complicated. Anyway, so this camel guy sends us up this dirt track and the dirt track as we go up this hill gets worse and worse and worse. And we've got these quite big, heavy bikes. And we're thinking, oh my God, how are we going to? So we finally get to the top of this of this hill, and we're just thinking, this is definitely not the right way. And then we we, we looked down at the bottom of the hill, and, and you, we could see the, the road that we'd left, and then this lovely sort of gravel road that was going around <laughs> the whole mountain with a lovely car just driving along. You're just thinking, God damn it, we missed it again. But um, and that cost us a pair of, of goggles of of binoculars as well. So, oh, you had to trade for information. You know. Well, he was such a nice guy. Yeah, and, and he, he he was squinting all the time and so you and so loved kindly he said oh look here take these they were just oh. a little pair of binoculars and the guy was delighted with them so oh. i suppose who how is he to know you yeah. know so never ever ask directions if you're on a motorbike that's the thing i've learned today um i'm interested to know with what your dog ziggy has to do with you getting involved with movember oh ziggy's sitting here with me looking at me he's desperate for a poo actually <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he hasn't been out yet. He's looking at me going, how long are you going to talk for? <laughs> but, um, so yeah, yeah I, I got, it's like four years ago now, I think, I had it. Um, I was, um, my wife had taken Ziggy to the vet, and the last thing he checked was Ziggy's nuts. And um, and he said, oh, one feels a bit weird. And my wife said, oh, one of my husbands feels a bit weird. And um, that's nuts. And, um, and he goes, oh, you should definitely get that checked out. So my wife came straight home and said, Charlie, go straight to the GP and get your testicles sorted out. So I thought, oh, okay. And so I went down, got my testicles thing, and he felt them. He said, oh, no, that's definitely something wrong there. And so he gave me a telephone number to go to and make an appointment to a specialist. And and so I, did, I didn't, as usual, because of men, and they're just useless. I, I didn't do anything about it. And, and then that was like at 2 in the afternoon. And anyway, the next morning, at 8 o'clock in the morning, my GP rang me. In the 20 years I've known the, the, that, that GP, he's never rung me, ever. And so he rang, he said, what have you done, John? And I said, well, nothing. And, he, and I said, but I'm absolutely going to go off and do something now about it, completely freaked out. Uh, and so, so all I can really say is I'm just delighted that my wife, you know, knew my testicles so well to, uh, 
to understand, you know, that, 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 but anyway, that's how that kind of happened. And then, and then like, then it happens really fast, you know, you're sitting there and then, then, you know, the guy goes, Oh, definitely. We're going to have to check that. And then you see another specialist and he goes up. Oh, yep. That's got to come out. And then you're thinking, what is it going to come out? And he goes, yeah, we're going to get whipped that out. And then like two days later, I was lying on the, on the operating table and there were three guys looking over me. There was the surgeon and the vet. Oh no, not the vet. The, um, <laughs> <laughs> the vet. Can you imagine seeing the vet and thinking, bloody hell, what's going on here? But, um, and they're all sitting there. And just as the anesthetist sort of gives you that lovely injection and, and it says, tells you to try and count to from 10 backwards or something. And I was looking up at the guy. Actually, no, no, before that happened, he comes into the room with a, with a Sharpie to mark up which testicle to take off. And I say to him, look, you better give me that, that Sharpie because I'm, you know, it's important, you know, we mark up the right one. And so he gives me the Sharpie and he goes, yeah, but Charlie, listen, I don't want to alarm you, but he said, don't forget you are dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> so I, was, I was thinking, oh, I don't know my left or my right. So I just had to hand him back the Sharpie. And then he, he did. Anyway, so I'm lying on the, on the operating table and I'm looking up at these three guys and I'm just about to pass out. And, and, the, and the chief surgeon looks at me and he goes, don't worry, Charlie, it's just like shelling peas. <laughs> and then I fell asleep. I thought, what got to do with shelling peas? And I can, then all I could imagine was my testicle getting really ripped out and going, <laughs> that's what I can imagine. <laughs> just, anyway, so that was gone. And then he said, oh, Charlie, he said, do you want a false one put in there? And I said, what do you mean false one? And he goes, yeah, we can, we can chuck a little, uh, a little, a little uh, silicon testicle in there if you want. I said, is that common? He goes, yeah, well, you know, about 50-50 for people if they do and don't put one in. And, and my, I asked my wife, and she goes, yeah, well, as long as it's bigger than the last one, go ahead. <laughs> so anyway, so he puts this testicle in, and, and I wake up. You know, the first thing you think, you know, is my tackle going to work? And so luckily, luckily, when I woke up after the operation, there was this tent pole standing there. So it was like, yes, thank you very much. That works. And then so we moved on. And that was how I did it. So thanks to my wife. But listen, I think it's very important. You know, obviously, you know, I was very lucky and I caught it very, very early. I had a couple of rounds of chemotherapy and, and I was fine, you know. And my doctor had said, look, Charlie, this is just an inconvenience, not a life changer. And my sister Tasha had died of, of ovarian cancer before. And I'd seen how bad it gets and, and just how awful it is when it, you know, when it when it doesn't work. And And so I was very grateful to everybody especially in the speed that everybody worked. And, and so, you know, it's very important, you know, women spend a lot of time, you know, um, checking their breasts out, which I'm immensely jealous of. And, 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 you know, us as guys have to do it as well. And you've got to make sure that your testicles feel the same, that they feel, you know, kind of smooth and nice, no lumpy stuff. But what I've, what I've thought, what, what the best thing to do is if you have a partner, the best thing to do is once a week is to sit in front of each other and you can check each other out to make sure there are no lumps. So you get then, to do the you know, breast examination, is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, and she 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 gets to you know grab your your nuts and or, or vice versa. Or if you have a if you have a male partner, then you check each other's nuts out or check each other's breasts out. It, it doesn't, and then one thing leads to another, and and then you know guaranteed at least once a week you have a bit of fun. <laughs> well, I like your format there. I like what you're going with there, Charlie. Yeah, Doctor Charlie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, you do you do make a bit of light of it, but as you said, you have some fairly fairly heavy family history. What kind of conversation did you ha- did you have with your family after the diagnosis? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's always that risk. It's, the doctor had always said to me, "Look, Charlie, this is this is this is an inconvenience. It is not a it's not a life changer." I was always confident in that because, as I said, because I'd had 
such experience with my sister Tulsha. But you, you know, there is that moment of that. There is that couple. Of, it takes a couple of days for them to figure out uh, whether you do or don't have cancer. You know, oh. so those couple of days are, are pretty panicky. As much as I was sort of trying to sort of just sort of make light of it and you know not really think about it, you know, it, it's usually. I remember it was always it's, it's, it's always at nighttime. Tulsha always said nighttime was the worst because you know if you wake up or or whatever in the night and everything everything always seems worse at night, doesn't it? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I remember feeling that that horrible feeling and then realizing what my sister must have felt, you know, yeah. and then and then and then when I realized it was it would, they were just going to do the operation. It would be a couple of bouts of chemotherapy and then, you, you know, you'd probably be all right. Um, and then I thought, God, how awful it must have been for my sister to sort of lie there knowing that it wasn't going to be okay, you know. So so it is really important that everybody gets behind November and, and men are really shit at, at health. And, um, you know, breast cancer and ovarian cancer and all that kind of stuff is so much more in the public eye and women are so much so aware of it, you know, that men need to be tremendously aware of it as well and, and it is serious it's not an old man's thing you know it's it's you can get for testicular cancer you can get it from eight to 80 you know there's no rules and people always say to me, oh it's charlie because you rode motorbikes so much and it has nothing to do with anything that you do it just happens you know and so yeah so it's quite important to, to make sure that you that you grope your nuts at least once a day <laughs> that's what i say yeah. pocket billiards on a daily basis. When the stepdaughter asks me what I'm doing, I'll say, Charlie told me. Charlie told me, yeah. Charlie told me to play pocket billiards until I'm playing pocket billiards. <laughs> you imagine, I'd, I'd suggest not to do it on a, on a crowded bus or a busy McDonald's, you yeah. know, McDonald's. Not, yeah, nobody likes to see that. No, you know? <laughs> but generally, um, the old, if I ignore it, it'll go away, does not apply here. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It really doesn't. <laughs> you know, it takes the odd little boost or, or, or it takes a a very loving wife or, 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 or someone to sort of, sort of push you along. But certainly now, you know, I take it very seriously. I've, I've, and as well as I've only got one nut left. So I, I really do. I really do make sure it's okay. I, I actually went to see my doctor yesterday, actually, to have my, my annual check and my blood test. And I was supposed to have the blood test done a week ago and I forgot. So I just went to see him. He, he, he had a grab of my testicle and had a grope and then said, that feels fine. And, um, and off we went. But it's it's happy days, you know. It's happy days, mate. I know Ziggy yeah. needs to go for a walk, so we'll, we'll wrap yeah. up. But we do finish with the same right. three questions for everybody. So okay. I just I do want to ask. I do have to ask during November, what kind of moustache do you grow? Oh well, I hold a moustache most of the time, so I'm a movator. Ah, I occasionally take people's telephone numbers and ring them up, and you know, give them tips of 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 how to how to keep that little bit of bum fluff on the top of their lip going. You know, sometimes it's, it's sometimes it's quite a good idea to have a nick your girlfriend or your wife's mascara. You can sort of just you know just paint it out a little bit, make it uh, <laughs> make it look a little bit more than it is. Got it. If you could pick up the phone and call eighteen year old Charlie, what advice would you give him? Uh, I'd say do it all again, and uh, no regrets. The, the only regrets I just the only regrets I have in life are, are, are the motorbikes I had to uh, I had to sell to buy another one. I just wish I'd never sold them. Okay. Anyway, there you go. And the last question: What do your mates mean to you, Charlie? You know, mates are everything. So good friends are is so important. And actually, I'm meeting a whole bunch of them now. We're all going. Uh, we're all going rock climbing for November. We're doing a little bit of, a little bit of stuff for that because you know you, you've got to grow a mustache, but you've got to get keep moving as well and, and get out there. I hate the gym, so hate it with a vengeance. So 
I find all sorts of stuff to do. So there's an indoor rock climbing place around the corner. So we're all going there. That's quite fun to do with your mates because, you know, hopefully they're all worse than you. And then you can give them a lot of stick, you know. And actually one guy we, one guy who we go climbing with, uh, a guy called Roy, and, and you can wind them up so easily. It's just like, it's, just, it's a bit like fishing fishing with a fishing rod in a in a in a fish farm because it's just you just throw the hook in and he's caught the bait and it's fantastic <laughs> charlie it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today thanks for your time right. friend. yeah no worries all Take right care. see you brother bye-bye, bye-bye. 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 That was Charlie Borman. You can find him on Twitter at C-H-R-L-E-Y-B-O-O-R-M-A-N. Do tell him that you heard him here. It makes a big difference to our guests when they get a little bump. Just tell him hi. Say you heard the show and you dug it. That'd be awesome. I'm grateful that I could share this conversation with you, though it should never replace a conversation with your own doctor. If you did like the show, please leave a comment and a rating in the iTunes store. It really helps us out. Or simply tell a mate. Find us on Facebook by searching Movember. And for other episodes... SoundCloud, iTunes, or the podcast app of your choice. Movember Radio is produced by myself, Osher Ginsberg, Molly Hindman, and Lavanya Nagendran. The music is by Toehider, and audio production on this episode was by Daryl Misson. Thank you so much. Have a great week, and thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.